Hello, everyone. Welcome to another week of Philadelphia Phillies baseball and another episode of the Phillies Therapy Podcast. That's right. That's what you're listening to, in case you forgot. My name is Paul Boyer, joined as always by the Athletics' Matt Gelb. The topic, as always, your Philadelphia Phillies, who are 3-6 and six after having won one series, lost one series, and really lost one series. Uh, you can figure out for yourselves which one is which. Overall... Not the start we may have been hoping for. Uh, three and six is not the best way to come out of the gate. Winning the first home series is nice. Winning the home opener is nice. Uh, not a great showing on the road against Texas and the Yankees to start the year. The homestand finishes up with three against the Marlins before a short trip out to the Midwest to take on the Reds and White Sox. And Matt, uh, some things, even though we're only a week and change into the season, some things are starting to stand out already with this team. Uh, some good, some bad. Uh, we'll start with the good first. How are you? How how are you feeling after this, this first series, uh, first home series of the year? I'm great. It was great to be back at the ballpark at home and, um, you know, seeing a lot of people come out and I I thought the ring ceremony, and I know there's people who are conflicted about, you know, the size of the rings and the, you know, the whole pomp and circumstance of it. But I would remind those people that the Phillies have existed for, uh, 141 years and they've won a pennant uh, exactly eight of those years mm. so um you know whatever uh i think it's it's, <laughs> it's hard as, it's hard as shit and it's worth celebrating i thought the reese hoskins <laughs> moment was uh was really cool um oh, was, was yeah. deserved it was you know I, I think bittersweet for for a lot of the phillies people in uniform and a lot of fans um but but i thought it was cool that he got that moment and uh the rings are big Oh, yes, they're big and they're colorful. What, what was the final <laughs> count of stones on that thing? I don't I, know. It, it, hundreds? <laughs> uh, it's crazy. Um, but no, it, look, it is well earned. Yeah, sure. Celebrate the NL championship, man. I have no problem with that. I enjoyed the hell out of that playoff run. I, I want something to remember that by, too. That means a big old garish ring that I can pull up an image of every so often. Yeah, sure. Hey, you um, know, the owner Middleton was was running the show on this and this is what he wanted to do. And you know what? got a lot of money and this is what he wanted so, yeah. yeah and what he, he gave out 63 of those bad boys was the final 63 total? players get the biggest you know that everyone in uniform and then you know some of the big front office people get you know the most expensive biggest version of the ring there's always like two or three different versions of the ring uh-huh. so, you know so other people in the front you know all phillies employees full-time employees will get a ring um they won't get you know like the ring um but yeah all 63 players are getting the ring and that's 63 guys who um, you know, got a day uh, of service time. So even guys like Hans Kraus and uh, James MacArthur, who got, they got big league time because they were put on the um, 60 day out. They're getting the biggest version of the ring. So I, it's cool. It's cool that they had a bunch of those guys back. I wrote a little bit uh, last week about, you know, some of the guys in the fringe, you know, what that feeling is like, like Kingry and um, Jeff Singer, who got a day uh, in the big leagues last year and mm-hmm. never pitched. And Will Toffee, who was actually at the ceremony. Will, um, was there in Toronto for a day and never got into a game. And then at the end of spring training this year, he destroyed his shoulder uh, yeah. and he's out for the year. And, and it was cool to like that he got, you know, he got to be there. And um, yeah, I mean, I know some people look at it and say like, you know, who are these guys? Why do they deserve it? And I don't know. I think it's a nice organizational philosophy to reward those guys and to even have them, you know, bring them in for the ceremony too. I think that's, that, that has an effect. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. And with the series coming up against the Marlins, old friend Gene Segura will get his own. And then we can close the book on this, move on, and fully focus on 2023. And for all of you people who who don't like the pop and circumstance, there you go. It's over. It's done. <laughs> uh, but moving away a little bit from from the folks on the fringe and and you know the 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 I guess lesser contributors to last year's team. Let's talk about some of the good things that have happened so far this year. Because even though the team is three and six, not the start you wanted. A little bit of a better showing against the Reds convincingly took the home opener won a game they maybe shouldn't have won on Saturday and then lost a the game they should have won on Sunday so that all balances out mm-hmm. they didn't have a great interleague opener on and on you go they're still in the softer part of this first month schedule Rangers might be good the Rangers, the Rangers good. really we'll might see. be good yes. we'll see we'll yes. see yeah. um the, the good things that are happening and there are some good things there are bad things and annoying things for sure but we're going to focus on the good for a second here you may have heard that there was some pressure on some younger guys, uh, uh, finally called the daycare, most of which is still intact. Um, that would be Bryson Stott, Alec Bohm, and Brandon Marsh. These were really important players coming into this season. Sure, the Phillies had all that star power, et cetera, et cetera. You look for um, some of the bigger, higher price free agents to do a little bit of the carrying while Hoskins is out. And we wait for Harper to get back on and on. But early returns on the three guys we just mentioned, Stott, Bohm, Marsh, are really good. They're off to really good starts. And I think it's worth mentioning and calling that out specifically at the top of this show or near the top of this show because they could be really important, well, they will be really important, for helping to keep this team afloat, especially now that some of the other veterans are off to slower starts. Matt, what have you noticed about those three guys in this first week and a half of games and what really sticks out to you about how they've been doing at the plate and in the field? Well, I think in the spring, a lot of the talk was about, Hey, if, 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 if all three of these guys take the step forward that we think they can take, you know, we're going to be in a good spot. And Mm -hmm. that has become even more important, obviously with, with the shifting lineup. Um, And and I think when you look at the first 10 days, you're less concerned. You're, You're looking for, um, you're judging, you know, guys like Real Muto and Schwarber and Turner a little less because you're like, okay, they have track records. Like they have by the end of the season, we're going to look up and most likely, you know, their body of work will speak for itself. Yeah. Whereas with Stott, Marsh, and Bohm, like you're not, you're not totally sure. I mean, you, you, you know, you saw some good things last year. You saw some good things in the spring. You know, there's reasons to believe that both that all three of these guys could be, you know, productive everyday players on a championship caliber team. But you're you're not totally sure, and and again, ten days isn't going to prove that. But you want to see signs of it early on, and I think we've seen it with all three guys. I think Stott has really stuck out to me. Um, mm. Stott's at bats, you know, we we saw it in the second half last year. He wasn't necessarily getting the results he wanted, but the quality of at bat was typically quite good. You know, he was yeah. hanging in there against some tough pitchers. And one thing that really sticks out to me, Paul, is that early on here, uh, he has hit fastballs. Uh, mm. and that was a problem for him last year. He hit 209 with a 324 slug last year against fastballs. It's just not good. And like in the playoffs, we saw it. I mean, he just got absolutely pounded with heaters, especially heaters up in the zone. Um, teams knew that that was something that that was a weakness for him. And so far this year, you know, again, very early, he's hitting 435 with a 565 slug against fastballs. He's got seven hits against fastballs, which represents uh, 20% of his entire total last year hits against fastballs so already geez already yeah and you know so that that is a thing you're you know you're looking for 
each guy to make an adjustment. And for Stott, hitting against fastballs was the big adjustment he had to make. And so far, so good. Um, Marsh, you know, his base running aside uh, <laughs> has has hit for has hit for power. Like he's already got five yeah, extra base hits. He does. Um, you know, he keeps making outs on those extra base <laughs> hits. But um, yeah, you know, they got to clean oh, it up. Man. I think everybody's aware of that. The base running needs to be cleaned up. The pitching needs to be cleaned up. I think all that is is quite clear. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I I think Marsh uh, and Stott, Stott especially, Stott has gotten pretty. He's pretty 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 much every day. Like even against lefties, and yeah. uh, I, I think he will continue to get the benefit of the doubt there. Um, for a couple of reasons, one of them just being the way the roster is right now. Um, mm-hmm. The other being that his at bats against lefties have been have been really good. Marsh, I think you're gonna, yeah, I think you're gonna see him play every day. Like I think he's gonna play a yeah, lot. Yeah, we should. Really, um, yeah, okay. You know, I, I know Christian Pache. You know, is kind of like the um, the whipping boy early on here, and I understand why. It's a, it's a weird. It's definitely a weird uh, thing they're trying to squeeze in here. They face uh, a lefty. Uh, on Tuesday night, Luzardo, and and maybe you see Pache in there. He, you know, Pache had a had an okay Saturday. You know, his one game in the lineup at home. Um, but I, I think Marsh deserves the benefit of the doubt here. You know, like I, I think he should be playing almost every day. And, and should he get, you know, maybe he gets one day a week. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. But more than that, I I don't think that should be the case. And then Boom, you know. Uh, he's the first baseman now, like I believe. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it. You know, we haven't talked since Derek Hall uh, went down and and, right. and is now going to have surgery this week. And is, you know, this is a kind of injury they haven't put a timetable on it. This is the kind of injury I've always been told is like a at least a six to eight week kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember distinctly when Chase Utley suffered a very similar injury. Um, it probably was, might have been twenty ten, middle of the season. You know, again slotting into second base, trying to hold on to the bag and you know tears a ligament in his thumb and he missed about seven ish weeks i think that year uh, i think hall will be looking at something similar after the surgery you know two months and mm. uh at, at first i think it, i thought it was interesting that rob thompson was pretty unequivocal about it he's like cody clemens is gonna play first base against right-handed hitters and that that uh was met with some raised eyebrows and i think rightfully so i mean whatever you think of cody clemens like maybe he's a a a solid piece on a big league roster probably not an an, an everyday kind of guy no um and and that was you know that quickly shifted to uh sunday morning in rob's office you know him saying uh you know we want to ride sosa sosa is hot you know he he deserves more chances and and that means that boehm is going to move over and I've talked to a lot of people in the organization about this, and I, I think there's a couple factors at play here. One, mm-hmm. um, they don't want to totally close the door on Alec Bohm as a third baseman. And Nor I should understand they. why. Yeah. Right. I understand why. I mean, he's made progress over there. Again, it's never going to even be average over there, right? I, I don't think he'll ever even be average, but he, he made it playable, right? You know, he's below average, but playable there. And yeah, he showed he can make some plays. Yeah, yeah. And he'll still, nice. he'll still botch perfect. one or two, sure, yeah, but yeah, he can yeah. make a couple plays. And the range is never going to be good, and we know that. No. We know all that. We know all the the um, the things working against him, his size. I mean, really, Troy Glaus is the only third baseman, his, you know, that that, that, wow. that tall. Oh, I, I never heard that comp before. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not just body, Just I mean, body-wise. Yeah, right? I mean, like, if you actually look it up, like, baseball reference, the stat head tool, which is, you know, one of the coolest things um, oh, there yeah. is. 
you know, you can search by height even. And, and, and it's amazing. Like there are very, very few third basemen who've played like more than two or three seasons who are like six foot five or taller. And Bohm is listed at six foot five. Might even be taller than that, honestly. But it's like Chris Bryant played like a season and a half there, a third, you know, that tall. Troy Glaus. I think Ryan Miner might have been another guy. Oh, jeez. Um, okay. But Glaus is really the only guy right? who, yeah. Yeah. Glaus is really the only guy who lasted like more than a few seasons there. And it's hard. I mean, it's like a hard position for a tall dude to play. And, um, you know, like, is he eventually, is Bohm eventually going to first base? Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that's eventually where he ends up, you know, mm. maybe as soon as 2024. But I think there are, are people in the organization who didn't want to see the the gains that he's made at third kind of go away by having more focus at a different position. And yeah, you know, do those gains go away because he's going to be playing more first base and less third? I, I don't know. Maybe probably um, just by nature, it's just less work, less focus at third base. Um, but the way the roster is right now, the way everything shakes out, um, don't you agree that this is, this is what they have to do right now? Yes, and and I think it is a bit of a shame that that move for Bohm has to happen right now out of necessity like this. Because I consider myself part of that camp that thought there was some positive momentum there at third base. You know, second half of last year, continued improvement, had showed he could make some plays, was was fine in spring, was fine early on to start the year, I thought. Um, and now he's, you know, going to see most of his time over first base. I, I get it. It's a, it, it stinks a little bit for him in, in the near term, hopefully not so much in the long term. But again, we don't know how long that term is for him at third base. Anyway, we don't really know necessarily how long of a runway he had left there. To see this happen now, yeah, it, it does kind of stink. You know, it, it stinks for Derek Hall. <laughs> it, it stinks it in really part. It really stinks for Derek Hall. Yeah, it, it stinks in part for Bohm. I mean, he gets to keep playing. It's great for Sosa, who everybody out there loves and now gets to see more time out in the field. Um, which, you know, great. Let him see, let, let us see what we got here with this guy. I'm not sure if this is, you know, so easily dismissed as somebody who could get overexposed a la Ronald Torres. Um, again, not comping mm-hmm. players here. Um, because this guy looks like he can really pick it and, you know, comes up to the plate seeming like he wants to do damage, you know, just air it out. Let's see what happens. They're kind of hobbling right now. Um, literally and figuratively in some cases. So whatever you can do to patch it up, fine, fine by me. And, and I think that they, you know, they're going to tread lightly here because they don't want to close the door on Bohm at third base, even for this season, because, you know, let's say you have an opportunity in June or July to go get, you know, a, 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 a power hitting first baseman who, who, who is on an expiring contract or something, somebody who fits better yeah. in the roster, then you want to be able to put Bohm back at third base. Or let's say this coming off season, you know, you, you're in the market for either a third baseman or a first baseman and you have a better deal or a better fit with a first baseman. You want to be able to to have Bone play third. So I get it. You want to keep those doors open. But like mm. right now, I, I just don't think there's any other alternative for them. I mean, their hand has certainly been forced here. Um, and, and it is a very much as mu- it is as much about Sosa as anything. Um, I, I think Sosa uh, has earned this shot. I think he's he's interesting for a lot of reasons. He's he's mm-hmm. become like the the energy guy, huh? Isn't that weird? Like he's yeah, like he's yeah. like the guy. Like he's the energy guy. Um, I, I've written this and we've talked about this a couple times. I mean, as soon as the Phillies traded for him last summer and the fit wasn't really obvious, you know, they received calls from numerous teams, 
smart teams, I think they were like, Hey, are you going to flip Sosa? Like we're interested. Um, there were teams that liked him and he fell out of favor in St. Louis, which is never a good thing because if the Cardinals are giving up on you, then, you know, there's some red flags for sure. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like he looks like a kind of guy who like could be a contributor for a good team. Don't you think? Right now, yes. I, at the very least, want him to get this opportunity to prove it. You know, you, you can only prove so much in even a half season, but I do want to see more of him. Um, again, not ideal circumstances, but if there was going to be a way to get him more at bats, I'd rather it be this than having him out in center field. You know, I mean, maybe he could stand out there. Maybe he could play it a little bit. I feel a whole lot better about Christian Pache's glove out in center field, even with the even with the way he started on offense. I know, I know, it's not pretty. It's the furthest thing from pretty so far from him at the plate. I I get that. I I truly do. I don't know how much better that is going to get. But <laughs> but Christian Pache defensively is really really good, and I think he's going to have a chance to offset a little bit of this uh, offensive mm, growing pains while he's out in center field. I'm just going to put that right there. I I, I want to soften the blows against him a little bit because he's arrived with such a thud that it's going to take so much for him to dig out of this. Um, this wasn't really the point that we were talking about. Um, no, I don't, I don't think he's got long on the roster. You know, like I, I think, I think part of the, uh, you know, part of the idea here was, and, and this is not something that contending teams typically do, but you, you can do this. I mean, I think they claim, you know, they traded for him. He's a, clearly a project, and I think you uh-huh. get him, and then you, you know, you have him work with Kevin Long for a few weeks, maybe, and then you see if you can get him through waivers and keep him in the organization. All right. Just I don't guess. think, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know if that's going to work, but I, who knows? Maybe. Probably not. maybe. Maybe I mean, does. although, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many teams are climbing him. I mean, I, you right. Know, like, uh, how many maybe. teams are taking a shot there? If the A's, again, if the A's, a team that had all the motivation oh, in the world to retain him and see yeah. it through, gave up on him, you know, what, what, what does that say here? Boy, what a mess they looked like against Tampa Bay. Anyway. <sighs> yeah. You know, one thing you, you, you mentioned a couple of minutes ago, and it relates to Pache that I want to explore even for just a second here. When spring was wrapping up, Hoskins had just gone down with his injury and it was known, you know, just a couple of days to spare that he was going to be out a, a very, very long time, probably the entire complete hundred percent season. Um, and the expectation was, okay, right-handed bat is coming. And Christian Pache, right-handed hitting center fielder doesn't really hit that much was the guy who came in and we're like, Oh, that was a little unexpected is the thought now that they are going to try this roster configuration for six weeks. They're not going to let this go all the way until July. Right. I mean, I don't think they have a kind of a choice right now, Paul. I mean, I know everyone is in my mentions telling me who the Phillies should trade for, but like (laughs) teams don't make trades from their big league rosters in April. Like it's just not a thing that happens. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, you people, you know, people were like all about Christian Walker and Dimebacks. The Dimebacks like are good. I mean, right. I don't know, like they're trying to win and like they're yes. not going to trade Christian Walker probably at all this season. And if they do, it won't be till the end of July. But, you know, CJ Crone is a name that keeps coming up and he was 0 for 18 to start the season. You know, again, let's let's 
you know, not a, not a huge thing, but like everyone's like, you know, that there's like a magic bullet here again, like Rockies aren't going to make a trade right now. They're not like your best bet is to pluck somebody off someone's triple a roster that you like, and, and maybe you bring them in, but they went through this exercise a couple weeks ago when Hoskins went down, like you mentioned, and they had their scouts and analysts kind of go through different scenarios and present them. And there wasn't like a really good one. You know, there wasn't a good fit, you know, mm-hmm. given you're not going to go, you know, overpay for someone's triple A depth right now. And that's what teams teams know the Phillies uh, have a need. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't think like, sure. you know, early on, like the prices aren't going to be, you know, again, it's like a depth piece. It's like how much you want to give up. I mean, I actually thought they gave up, you know, kind of an interesting guy to get Pache. I think Billy Sullivan has got a chance like to be a, a, a big league, like middle reliever. Uh, but you know, I just, just, this is what you got. I mean, this is what you see is what you get right now. And that's why it's like, if there's another injury or two, you know, now you're really, um, you're really in trouble. And, and it's honestly, Paul, it's made me like, look at the rest of the sport, but also the rest of the, the division specifically, uh, both the Mets and Braves are dealing with like a ton of injuries oh, and effectiveness yeah. right now. I mean, like oh, I yeah. watched a little bit of last night's game, Sunday night baseball game and, and Dylan Dodd, a guy who had a huge spring for, for the Braves, you know, was just terrible. And they already sent out, you know, the other rookie who was in the rotation to start the year, Jared Schuster. And now Dodd, you know, may not make it to another start. And all of a sudden, like, Freed is hurt. Their two rookies in the rotation are ineffective. Uh, Travis Darno has a concussion. He's going to be down for a little while. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm looking at the Mets. Like, Carlos Carrasco is an important piece for them this year. He's been awful. Like, awful. And his stuff is, like, way down. David Peterson and Tyler McGill are already in their rotation. Uh, you know, they've had a ton of bullpen injuries. I, I just like, I don't know. I mean, like we, we get, sometimes we have this myopic view of the Phillies cause it's all we're focusing on and it's the only thing we see and you get, it tends to, you know, leans toward overreaction, both positive and negative. Um, it has not been a good start for them, but like, I look at it and like all these teams right now um, are really dealing with a lot of issues. <laughs> It's true. I mean, it it does help for us to like pick our heads up once in a while and and take that look at the rest of the league and see where things stand and try and reset our baselines for wondering how bad our problems really are. You know, that whole exercise that you were just talking about right there, that's healthy. You know, if, if you only focus on your team, your one chosen team. You can sometimes, how does the saying go, uh, lose the forest for the trees or however it's over. Something like that. I, I don't like it, but I think I think the meaning applies here. If you only focus on what the Phillies are doing and how they are composed and how they are performing relative to everything else, it doesn't set the right context for you. And it can sometimes blow certain problems out of proportion. All of that, of course, is happening while we're, again, 10 or nine games into the season where a three for four game can raise your average 200 points on the season and have it look completely different. Like that's just, that's the world of early season baseball. I mean, it's just very much like a survival here. Yeah. And the Phillies, the Phillies, you know, have different points of survival, right? I mean, like they need to stay above water until Bryce Harper comes back, you know, sometime late May, early June, mid June, whenever it is, Mm -hmm. you know, that's like your first big, you know, mile marker. Then maybe at the deadline you get something or, or, you know, you stay afloat for the next few weeks until Ranger Suarez gets back. I, I saw Ranger yesterday. He came in to get his ring. He has high blonde highlights now in his hair. Um, oh, does he really? He's he <laughs> said he is going to he is a now a 2000s boy band uh, star. Oh and God. he did uh, he say that? 
No, his uh, Diego oh. Atedgi, who's the uh, interpreter. Oh. He he made that joke and and oh, Rainer, okay. so that was that was the look that he was going for. <laughs> uh, so That's yes, um, he he's going to throw another bullpen uh, today or tomorrow. It's like an up down where it's like you know two inning bullpen essentially, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he'll face hitters and you know he's getting there. Like again, I think you're looking at you know late April, early May for him. Um, but that's another marker. It's like you're trying to survive to then. And I also think like moving Matt Strom back into the bullpen is going to do a lot of things. I hope so. Um, they kind of need that. <laughs> kind of need him in the bullpen. <laughs> yeah. Um, they kind of need their pitchers to pitch a little deeper. Uh, oh I actually was just looking this up. Um, this is the first time in Philly's history uh, that they only had one start of six innings in the first nine games of the season. And they're not going to, and, and they're not going to have it tonight either. Cause it's, uh, and again, we're recording this Monday morning, but Matt Strom's pitching in, and no matter how well Strom does, I, I don't think he's going to pitch six innings tonight. No. Um, and so, yeah, it would be the first time uh, in Philly's history that they have one start six innings, uh, in the first 10 games of the season and they need more. I mean, like we can talk about the bullpen a little bit, uh, but, uh, their starting pitchers like need to need to pitch deeper. Like, I think that's like, it, it's kind of, it's pretty obvious. Um, but like that needs to happen. And, uh, you know, it, it starts after Strom. It starts with Nola and Wheeler against the Marlins. Like they need, um, they need deeper starts. They need better starts. And it's just going to make everyone else better, uh, on the pitching staff. Um, because it, it's been messy, you know, I mean, nine walks in the game that they lost Sunday for those walks scored, um, more of them probably should have scored. Uh, the walks, it's just, the like, walks it's are just too many. so bad, man. Yeah, it's too many. Too many. Oh, it- and, you know, Craig Kimbrell, I, I yeah, if you're going to sound alarms on anyone, like I think Kimbrell is a, is a fine place to start. I mean, it's just not, I don't know, it's just very average, right? It's just very average. And he's not the closer, like he, he saved that game, uh, the home opener. They're trying to get him to 400, right, is basically what that amounts to. Uh, I think so, yeah, but I think they're also looking for the right spots to use him. And they're also not trying to overdo dominguez early on which i get like it's, sure. a, it's a long season like you're trying to make sure that you're protecting him and um he has a history of injuries like simple as that like you're not you're not trying to push him and you know we saw it. he pitched back-to-back days and you know he pitched saturday and sunday and then sunday um it was it was really bad like he yeah. could not throw strikes and uh you know i i would put kimbrel above dominguez on like my panic meter i guess um do you know how i would put low on my panic meter Greg Who, Soto. Who's that? Greg. Yeah, Greg me Soto. too. Yeah, I think I think he's gonna be fine. Really tough first game, and then has been very terrible good. first game, and, and yeah. even a terrible third game. But I think there's there's things that they're working on him with. Like they did not get as much time with him in the spring as they wanted. Like obviously he he, he missed a lot of time with the visa stuff. And um, if you if you watch him, you'll notice Paul. Like he has like three different like deliveries. Like he'll have like a yes. uh, a high leg kick, a medium leg kick, then like no leg kick. The slide step, and they're yeah. trying to get him to not do any of that anymore. <laughs> they're like, please just pick one and stick with it. And that makes sense because um, he gets into trouble when he starts overthinking things. And then all of a sudden you look up and he's needed 34 pitches to get three outs. And it's not great. But um the slider is 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 really good. It's way better than it was last year with the Tigers. He didn't even throw it at times. He's throwing it now. Um, I, I think he's I think he's going to be a weapon for them. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll even launch a little bit of a, a defense of his game in Yankee Stadium because the he was a little bit around the zone, but he was he was closer. And the home run he gave up that was not a bad pitch. 
Like bad it, pitch selection, to be quite honest. Well, yeah. And if that okay. guy's if Trevino's going to hit one out, I mean, he really just you know he hooked the slider, and that's it like was the only clear, pitch he's going to hit out. Yeah, it was clear he was sitting on that. He was looking for it that pitch in that location, and even though it was off the plate, he was he was ready and timed it up. And uh, oh, okay, yeah. I'll meet you there. But yeah, I I think Soto's rebounded pretty nicely from a really really bad introduction. No, look the the whole pitching staff, the entire pitching staff has a bad strike zone problem right now. And yes. that is a really, really hard thing to recover from. You know, it's a big reason why some of the starters haven't gone deep into games. It's a big reason why uh, they've blown a couple of these these late leads now, you know, early on in the season. Kimbrell is, is definitely a problem. You don't love to see five walks to two strikeouts and 20 batters faced. Um, you know, Soto has, has always come with the reputation that he'll probably walk a few guys, but you know, that that's neither here nor there. Sir Anthony having one more walk than strikeouts, mainly as a result of yesterday's appearance and really seeming like he's rustier than some of the other guys. Yeah, that's that's not great. And this Andrew Vasquez guy who keeps clinging to the roster, <laughs> they, they like for, you know, his arm angle or stuff or whatever. Four walks to one strikeout in do 20 you know face. Do you know who hasn't walked anyone yet? Who? Jose Alvarado. That's right. Look, we we were talking just before we started recording about coming into the season. Oh, man, are the changes Alvarado made in the second half of last year real? Can he carry that through an offseason? Can he be like kind of oh, like 90 uh, percent of what he was last year? What we all neglected to consider, what we all didn't even think to dream into reality was, could he be better? And <laughs> guess what? He's look, it, it, some of you are familiar with it. You, you know, the, the pitching statistic FIP fielding independent pitching. Basically, it takes your your numbers of what you control as a pitcher talking about your home runs, your your strikeouts and your walks. Nothing that involves the defense and converts it onto the ERA scale. So it basically says, OK, what would your ERA be if we only looked at what you control on the mound? Alvarado's FIP is in the negative numbers. And I'm not just talking about like negative 0.1. He's got a FIP of negative 2.1, which I didn't know FIP could go that low. Matt, um, yes, we have concerns about parts of the pitching staff. Alvarado has struck out, what is it, 10 straight batters that he's faced in his appearances and 11 of 13 overall. He's a maniac. Yeah, he is. And like, you know, like it's a long season. He's going to go through his ups and downs. But like very clearly, the ceiling is higher now for Alvarado. And he has all this all these good moments now to return to. Like when he has a bad stretch, there's confidence and he'll have confidence. It's like I can pull myself out of this like I'm better than this. And in the past, like that wasn't necessarily guaranteed. And, Mm. you know, I think all this is just going to serve him well when he does inevitably have that rough stretch. And he will like every reliever does. the guy is dominant and it's uh, it's I've never seen anything like this. I mean, this is just it's amazing. And people are like, well, he should be closing. And I don't disagree with that. But like the way they're running their bullpen now is like they're looking for Alvarado to face um, the toughest hitters and the other team's lineup. So like if the heart of the order is coming up in the eighth inning, like, yeah, that's going to be Alvarado. And yeah, I mean, we can quibble about like who's pitching the ninth in that situation. Should it be Dominguez, Soto, Kimbrell? I don't know. Um, I don't know, but, uh, I, I think the way they're using Alvarado is the right way. It's like, he should be facing the other team's, uh, best hitters, uh, no matter what the situation is in the seventh, eighth or ninth. Well, yeah. I mean, they brought him in on Sunday 
in the seventh inning for nine, one and two. That's, that's basically as close as you can get to lining it up exactly right. Like if we're playing matchup placement, not inning placement, which I, I think is the right call, then you want him facing the top of the order. And of course he struck Stuart Fairchild out in the ninth spot, Jonathan India, and then TJ Friedel. You know, the, the Reds, the Reds will not be a playoff team this year, but I do think that the Reds have at least a couple of interesting guys. It's not like they were throwing a, a complete lineup of, of nobodies out there. You know, in particular, India, he won rookie of the year for a reason a couple of years ago. He could be a bounce back guy. Friedel, I don't really know exactly what to make of him yet, but he's at least very interesting and he's very fast. Tyler Stevenson, a very good hitter, even if you're stuck between thinking what he should do, whether catch or, or DH more often. I don't, I don't really know. I, I think he's a good catcher, but I think there's some debate on that. The fact that you can have him, Alvarado, now we're back to talking about, come in and face, you know, the quality guys in the team's lineup. That is what you want. Closing, I, I get that the idea of closing is it's definitely sexier than bringing Alvarado in in the seventh inning uh, to protect a lead, but into the seventh inning to face nine, one and two, the three outs that he would get would not end the game far from it. There would be six more that that doesn't really have the fireworks to it. And if you want somebody who's as electric as he is, sometimes it just sort of goes hand in hand with the idea that that's the last thing you see before you die as an opposing lineup, you know, like that kind of thing. But you got to get it. You got to have him in here uh, to have the best chance of getting the best hitters out. So as I mean, long as they, they keep it. using him like that, that's great by me. And they had it all set up. I mean, they had the ninth yeah. for Dominguez yesterday yeah. and he did not pitch well. And no. so I don't know. I don't know if that's like that. I don't know how that's an indictment of like the way the game is managed. I mean, I think they managed it well and it was set up for Dominguez and he, he was bad. He was really yeah. bad. And his previous three outings had been better and not a lot of strikeouts, but like, I think he's been going for quicker outs and games uh, when he's come in recently. I think that's been uh, something that's been on his mind, like trying to get quicker outs, not necessarily going for strikeouts, uh, weaker contact, etc. cetera. Uh, but is he yeah, somebody who's, is he somebody who's been affected by the pitch timer? Do you think, do you think that's playing into maybe it? A little bit. He's never been like a slow, slow worker. It's been really interesting to watch Andrew Pilotti because he was like the slowest worker on the team. And all of a sudden, like, uh, you know, he, he's he's actually working quite fast and he's pitched really well. He's pitched a lot. He's on yeah, pace for like 100 a games lot. pitched. Yes. Um, and uh, he's working fast and you just like talking to him. He's just kind of like, you know, like I, I, I don't overthink things necessarily anymore. And um, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's helped some guys and hurt some others. I mean, I know um, a lot of guys in that clubhouse are, are not a fan. You pitchers and hitters are not a mm. fan of the clock and you know i think it's been an adjustment but um overall they they whatever the rule was um they they gotta throw more strikes i mean they gotta clean it up and uh you know like the the marlins are a decent team to try to clean it up against lastly i think our, our last major topic for for this week's episode we'll we'll touch on a guy who you just published a story about uh earlier this morning on the athletic monday morning uh, and that is Nick Castellanos, who we've talked about frequently here um, with our voices and <laughs> in our words, in your case. A um, little bit of a mixed bag early on. No home runs, but six doubles to lead the National League. A bunch of strikeouts, but also a lot of walks. He leads the team in walks with six. Uh, I was watching, um, I think it was either Saturday, maybe it was even Sunday, when he drew a four-pitch walk for what was already the fourth time just in these first, you know, this first week and a half, he had 
six or nine of those four pitch walks all of last season. Hmm. Something about his approach and his stance is slightly different. Something about his approach too has changed. I do think he's better about the pitches away. Um, they haven't all yielded spectacular results. Obviously the average is low, but the on-base percentage is nice. The doubles are keeping the slugging afloat. He's got an OPS plus over a hundred for the time being. So again, mixed bag, some good, some bad. It's not a finished product yet, but it seems like Matt, there are at least some things that are working, right? I think so, Paul. And, and like, I, I like talking about hitting with Cassianos because, um, you know, he, 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 He's definitely trying to to make the adjustments here, and he's trying to achieve something better than he did last year. And I think whereas last year, you know, he was just totally underwater and just like, you know, really didn't have a plan. Um, I think he clearly has a plan right now at the plate. And the big question is, you know, how, how what does that look like? You know, what does it translate into? Because we talked earlier at the beginning of this episode about how you're looking for those three guys, uh, the sophomores, Stott, Bohm, and Marsh, to take a step forward. And if they do that, and you get what you think you're going to get from the other players in the lineup, you think you're looking pretty good. To me, Castellanos is really like in, in the middle of all that. It's like he, mm. he doesn't fit either category. Like he has a track record, but because of last season, you're not so sure. And obviously he's not a young player anymore. So he's kind of that guy who doesn't fit into either of those groups. And you're like, if Castellanos does, you know, semi Castellanos type things, um, it's, you know, this team probably makes the playoffs. I mean, like he, you know, he's right in the middle. He's batting cleanup. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think he's going to be batting cleanup for, for the foreseeable future. Obviously with Hoskins down, they, they need some right-handed pop and Bohm has given them a little bit of that uh, early on here, but um, Castellanos needs to provide some of it. And the six doubles have been great. Um, He, he very clearly is not swinging at as many pitches as he swung at last year and definitely swing at more strikes. And in his mind, I think it's interesting to hear him talk about it. Like he he's trying to find that balance because like he's an aggressive guy. He likes to go up there with a you know, swinging on his mind. But he also knows that pitchers took advantage of that last year is so clear. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like clear just in the numbers. Like I had this in my story. I, I couldn't believe it, honestly, like from 2014 to 2021. So that's like seven seasons. Yeah. When Cassianos was ahead in the count. He was a 320-472-576 hitter. Any right. count where he was ahead. Like we're talking one oh two one. Yes, three two. Wow. Okay. Last year, when he was ahead in the count, he hit 209, 374, 346 as a slugging percentage that's 230 wow. points lower than the previous seven years when ahead in the count. I mean, he was such a mess. And we know this. Like, we watched it. We watched it day in and day out. But, sure. like, you watch it, you know, you look back now and you're like, wow. Like, that was terrible. <laughs> like, I mean, he was really <laughs> oh, bad. Man. And it's like, I mean, he, you know, he wasn't getting strikes or fastballs when he was ahead in the count last year because teams knew that he would swing at anything. He was so geared up to swing. And now the adjustment is, okay, he's making better decisions. So now he's not swinging at those pitches. So pitchers hypothetically have to adjust. They have to throw him more pitches in the zone because he's laying off the other ones. And I think we're seeing that a little bit. I think what we're seeing is he's missing some pitches in the zone now. And he talks Mm -hmm. about this because he made those adjustments where he's standing closer to the plate. He moved up in the box, you know, his, his contact point as he likes to call it, you know, is different now because 
he's getting some sinkers that he would normally barrel up that are going under the barrel because he's mm. closer to the plate and he's further up in the box. Mm-hmm. And again, these are the adjustments that he has to make. And I think more than anything, he's clearly a guy who, um, you know, feel and mood matter a lot to him. Sure. Um, yeah. And he's talking about how he's more relaxed and like he's feels good about the work that he's doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, all that is anecdotal right now. Um, but that's a good starting point. I mean, that's where you'd rather him be than, you know, kind of being pouty and sort of disengaged. Definitely. Um, I feel like we've seen him show us a little more like personality so far this year. Like the jersey is unbuttoned more than it was <laughs> at the beginning of last year. Like he's dancing off third base, you know, trying to distract the pitcher. He's he's just seems more comfortable. And, you know, people might scoff at that. But like for this guy, for Nick Castellanos, that very clearly matters and it means a lot to him to be comfortable so whether the results come off of that we'll see um but i i I do think he's a really interesting guy to watch right now and as turn as far as important phillies go i I think he's right up there don't you absolutely yeah i think this is a case of process over results at the moment i think it's clear to me at the very least that what he's doing right now what he's trying to do, even if it's not totally working, there are changes in play here. They, they've they taken the time, you know, he and the coaches and, and everything, taken the time to really focus on what went wrong last year and how they could better fix it, how they could better get him on track to be the guy who, you know, he was prior to coming to Philadelphia. And it's not, it doesn't always take effect immediately. And it's not always immediately abundantly clear that these things are going to pay off. Sometimes even when you have a good at bat, you get called out on a on a bad pitch. And this has happened to Castellanos a couple That's of times. True. You should have year. one more walk than he has right now. Yeah. One fewer yeah. strikeout because of CB Buckner. Yeah. I mean, and, and those things, you know, early on, they're more apparent. We were just talking about sample size. But over the course of a season, if you don't let that rattle you and you stick to it and you keep those good decisions and you you don't let CB Buckner throw off your your approach at the plate. I mean, maybe the next time he's behind the plate, you adjust. I don't know. But if you don't let that overall strategy change, those things will start to pay dividends. I feel like the early returns are positive and encouraging. I like what I see out of him. I know he's got the 16 strikeouts already. I I, I get that. The doubles are coming back, which is such a huge part of his game and something I was really focused on. I think it's going to pay off. I do. I I, I, won't, I won't just say I'm keeping the faith that I had preseason. I'm more encouraged by what I've seen so far in the first week and a half about Castellanos moving forward than I was at the start of the year. So, yeah, I'm fully on board. I mean, they need he needs to hit home runs. Like, I, I don't want to, you know, boil it down to that. But, like, he does. Like, he needs to hit for power. And power can be in doubles. And the doubles are great. But he's got to hit some homers. And, like, they need to hit home runs. I mean, they have seven homers yeah. in nine games. It's just, you know, there's got to be more slug. And, you know, as the weather gets warmer, of course, like, you know, more of that comes. Although, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, it's hard, so hard to predict, like, what's going to happen in the sport because so much has changed and we just, we don't know. We have no idea. I do think, right. and I've been trying to tell this to everyone I've been talking to and one here is that I do think there will be, the sport is going to face a pitching crisis come June or July. There's just so many, not only just guys hurt, but like the rules do favor offense. You know, the, the rule changes favor offense, the no shift, the pitch clock. Like, I think that favors offense. And, man. I don't know. Like I already see teams carrying pitchers that probably should not be in the big leagues and teams having kind of injury problems early on here. It's like, what is this going to look like in July? That's a great point. That's a really great point. 
and add that into the fact that a lot of guys may not be stretched out either to either to have a start in emergency, you know, call up situation, or if they have to relieve a starter in the third or fourth inning and cover a few innings. Um, yeah. That that's a great point. I think that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Not just for the Phillies, but all, all across the board. It'll affect the trade market too, probably if we're thinking about that. Who's going to be trading pitching away? Right. Anyone? Exactly. No one. Everyone's going to need it, and I don't know how many teams are going to have it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, so we're nine games in. The Phillies are three and six. Uh, there are some positives to take out of that. It is it is not the most inspiring start. Maybe not the best thing we could have been hoping for, but. You know, the sophomores are looking good. There, There's some reason to be excited about uh, the improvements they're making. Jose Alvarado is an absolute machine. He is prime Randy Johnson in relief pitcher form. <laughs> and the, the Phillies are still in a bit of a soft spot in the schedule. Uh, they have 14 more games before their next off day, starting with three more at home against the Miami Marlins starting tonight, Monday, before heading on the road to face Cincinnati again for the Second and final time already here in April, <laughs> and then the White Sox. Uh, Matt, any closing or parting thoughts that we somehow might not have covered over the last forty-five minutes? Sixteen game, or seventeen games in seventeen days. Their pitchers need to, their starters need to uh, step up. Amen. I mean, it's just there's not there's not going to be a lot of wiggle room here early on. All right, so here we go. It's an early gauntlet, even with that so-called softer point in the schedule. Miami Marlins. Three-game series starting tonight, Monday the 10th. See if the Phillies can get back on track and maybe be 500 by the end of this series. Go read Matt's story on Nick Castellanos over at theathletic.com. And we will be back with you around this time next week for another check-in, hopefully with an above 500 baseball team. We'll see how things go. For Matt, I am Paul. Thanks for hanging with us. We'll see you again soon.